It's the mother loving Detroit real estate podcast. We still waiting on the brother um, Romeo to show up. You know, that's what they call me, Bentley Billy these days. Big Bentley Billy is what they call me. So we're going to be talking about some really cool things right now. Detroit is one of the hottest markets in the country. Why? Because that's where the opportunity is. You want to get in before the opportunity becomes crowded. You want to get in before everybody knows it's an opportunity. You want to get in while there's still opportunity where you can still find deals. Granted, when we first started buying homes in Detroit, man, you could get homes for dirt cheap. $1,000, $10,000, it didn't matter. They just wanted to get the homes renovated. These days, it's a little bit more difficult, but you can still get homes for a lot less expensive than if you were to be buying them in Texas or Georgia or California for sure. Shout out to Anomaly Woman. We out here. So this question says, is Detroit the only place? I don't know. I told we talking about Detroit today. I don't know. I think there's other opportunities out there for sure, depending on your knowledge of the market. But one thing that I think is important is that you find a place and you just stick with it. Because if you're trying to find all these different spots and wherever the next opportunity is, there's opportunity where you are. If you ever read the book, Think and Grow Rich with Black Choice, he talks about this concept called Acres of Diamonds. Acres of Diamonds, where there's this dude and he wanted to get some diamonds. He was like a diamond miner. And he lived in some country in Africa. And he was like going all over the country, or the continent rather, looking for diamonds. And he went to this country, this country, this country, this country, searching for diamonds. Never found any diamonds. And then some guy comes and he goes to the original land that this person was at. And he digs down deeper than the other guy was willing to dig. And he finds just a plethora of diamonds. And the moral of that story is, that usually the diamonds are where you are. It's your responsibility to find the value in the land that you're in. So if you're in North Carolina, by all means, there's probably some diamonds there. Quite honestly, there's diamonds in California. Um, I think me and my limited thinking, I didn't take advantage of the opportunity because um, I felt like I was priced out because it's very expensive to invest in California. It's possible, but it's very expensive. A lot of times it just takes finding the deal. So a lot of real estate investing, in my opinion, is deal finding. You need to find deals. No matter what market you're in, you need to find deals. What makes a deal? Something that's discounted compared to the current market value. That is a deal. If you can find a deal that's discounted compared to the current market value, it doesn't matter where you at. You can still make money. So, yeah. For me, it just made sense for us to go to Detroit. It's been working out somewhat. Somewhat, but quite honestly, I'm looking to bring my talents back home as well. Um, kind of getting worn out. But for newer investors who, um, for newer investors, there's still opportunity there. There's still opportunity in the space. Um, you can find some deals um, if you talk to the right wholesaler. And Romeo is one of those people. He just tends to be late. He tends to show up when he wants to, you know. Hopefully he shows up in the next 10 minutes. Because um, I could be taking a nap. I got another call at 6. But 
you guys have any questions about Detroit, uh, what markets to invest in, um, what contractors to work with, um, what things to expect, we can definitely hash those out. That's the whole point of this is to educate everybody on the Detroit real estate market. And also it's to um, kind of increase the value of Detroit real estate as well, because um, I believe that the way and we can't let other people control the narrative that is Detroit. Detroit is a predominantly African-American city with a lot of African-American business owners, a lot of African-American real estate developers. And a lot of times the greatness that is Detroit gets overshadowed by like the crime. They highlight the crime. And quite honestly, and all the time that I've been there, I haven't seen any crime. I haven't seen any real craziness, but I've seen a lot of greatness. I've seen a whole lot of greatness. And so the purpose of this podcast really is to highlight more of the good things that are going on in Detroit. Because if we change the narrative, we can change the values. If we highlight all the amazing projects that are coming to Detroit, if we highlight all of the amazing people that are in Detroit, if we highlight all of the dope wholesalers and the dope landlords and all these really cool things and the projects that are coming to Detroit. For some reason, it's saying you can't join. I don't know why it's saying that. But if we highlight that, then we get to determine the values. I'm very big on the what can we do as opposed to what they're going to do for us. What can we do to change the narrative? What can we do to increase the values? What can we do to make communities safer? What can we do to make communities cleaner? What can we do to make... Um, to have more maybe grocery stores instead of just like 99 cent stores and fast food. What can we do? What can we do? We can do a lot of things. We can do a lot of things and we're going to do a lot of things. And the first thing is starting with this podcast. So I keep trying to join them, but it's not letting me join them. There we go. There we go. So welcome to the Detroit real estate podcast with my co-host Romeo Rowe. The goal is to also bring on some other guests on the show so that they can share their stories because you guys need to also see the dope people that are doing dope things. So, of course, I know about um, Ashley, Detroit investor. She owns like a million properties in Detroit right now. She started when it was not glamorous to buy in Detroit. And she bought her first home. She lived out of that home. And then from there, she's been off to the races. Now she's doing so many other things in real estate. Um, she's in lending. She's in construction management. She's a property manager. She's doing everything. Um, she's selling. Um, of course, you know, Asia Denson's out there. Asia really like me right now, but she's still out there making moves, you know? And I feel like you gotta, you gotta shout out people who are making moves, whether they like you or not. As a black community, we don't, we can't afford to be writing folks off. Man. We got, we don't got that many of us doing really solid dope things to be over here. Like I don't mess with that person. You know, Romeo's tried to write me off before, too. <laughs> I just keep calling him. But he can't write me yeah. off. Anyway, where you at these days? Where uh, you at right now, basement. brother? My bad. I'm a little late. I had a, a dope idea. Um, my boy has a rental property um, that he's actually probably going to turn into, like, a headquarters. I was trying to – the plan was to go live from there, but I uh, had some issues with the uh, lockbox. I, like so I had to come all the way back to the crib. So I could. That's dope. That was the plan, That's but. Dope. So you got. 
that means when I come out there, we can just record yep, content yep. there. Like it. I like it. Um, so what's going on? What's new, man? How's the wholesale life going for you? How many deals? You uh, none this week, man. It's been slow, but we got we got some uh, plans in the making to change that around. What was the most? Say it again. What was the most recent deal? That you uh, we did one in Virginia Park. And uh, what is Park? Virginia Park is that like a, there's a strong value yeah definitely there? the ARV on the one that we uh, just sold. It's probably like between one seventy to two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand. Yeah, two hundred thousand ARV. How much? Uh, you sell it to the guy for he pays seventy, and they're probably gonna put like less than fifty in. Yeah, yeah. So it was in good condition. Uh, the roof needs to be replaced, but uh, they're gonna I think what a either a quarter or a, or a half sheet of drywall. They're gonna go over the existing drywall in the kitchen and uh, the living room. Uh, the one issue which stuff happens that you can't anticipate. So it was obvious that it was like water damage in the basement because you could see the deterioration on the floors. But post closing. He ended up getting uh, three, four inches of water a few days after closing. And then as of last week, it's like a foot of water down there. So, like, water out the basement because he's having me assist him with finding, you know, subs to get in there to do some of the work. So, I got to find somebody to pump that water off the basement. So, in a situation like that, what's the issue? Is that like the walls? Is that the sewer situation? Because I mean, it could be. I mean, the water's getting in the house, so you got to keep water from coming in the house. But also, it's not draining. And in Detroit, usually there's a drain in the basement that all the water that goes in there can drain into. So they might have a water yeah. line issue as well. Um, I don't, yeah, got to replace the gutters. There's no downspouts going away from the house, so I think definitely having some downspouts going at least three feet away from the house. That's cold. Um, sealing the base of the of the uh, brick, you know, I think that would help as well. Sealing that. Um, what else? I think it's just a combination of things to really prevent that water. And then yeah, definitely snaking it after you after you pump it, then snaking the drain a few times. Mm, mm. How much does it cost to pump the water out of a basement? I can't. Uh, I'm still trying to get a quote. It's not everybody's so busy. I got one guy who does it, but he said he's backed up until July. That he was still. He said he would still go over there with Damn. me, but then uh, at the last minute, he said I got a sink to install. Sink. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the downsides about Detroit is a lot of these contractors are hard to work with. I'm not going to say that they, they just, sometimes they're hard to work with. But what I would recommend for you guys is when you get some good people, hold on to them. I'm even of the mindset is if you get some good people and they kind of overcharge you a little bit, that's okay. If they are consistent, if they get the work done. Because if you're if you're calling around like I do a lot of the times, trying to find the cheapest person to do the work, 
man, weeks will go by, especially if you're doing this long distance. Weeks will go by, and no progress will be made it, on it your property. It takes time to locate these people, and then it takes time for them to get out to the property, then it takes time for them to give you quotes. So you might spend a week or two weeks calling multiple people, and then they might take two or three days or a week to get out to the property. Then they're probably going to take three to four days. Well, it's probably going to take them three or four days to get you some quotes. And then, then you got to take days to uh, evaluate all the quotes that you got. So it's like it can become a lengthy process. Yeah. So the way to streamline that is, which is not going to happen other than trial and error, but the way to streamline that is just to rely on the same few people, you know, so, but basically have like a plan A, plan B. So you can't rely on like each trade you need done. You probably need two, three, four people per trade. But the first two you call on the regular. Yeah. What one of the things I'd recommend you guys is keep a list of the people that you're calling because <clears throat> it's just going to help you and organize because if you just go down Google and make a bunch of phone calls, and you're not keeping track of who you call, what the name of the company is, what they said, what their estimate might've been or what have you. Um, you have to start from scratch every single time you need a new plumber, start from scratch every time you need a new roofer. Whereas if you just had a list of just roofers, available that you can just drum down the list that makes it way easier because now you're just referencing your list instead of going to google because a lot of these names aren't really distinguishable sometimes you'll get referrals so they don't even have a website or they don't even have a searchable google so keep your contractors organized that's one thing that i've been telling my people to do is like as we're calling people i need you to take notes i need you to put it on a google doc so we all have access to it so we can all update it and we can all change it and so when you're doing that it just makes your business more efficient so that's just certain system to keep things and, going. But that's and it. I've noticed, uh, so, especially like when you use an actual company, like I had to uh, snake the basement at my rental property. Um, it wasn't flooding. It was just a little bit of water. So it didn't flood, but I needed that remedied. And uh, some people are feasible with their price on one line item and expensive for another. So um, the guy who snaked the drain or whatever, they only charged me like, they usually do, they snake both drains. So it's usually like $100 for the first drain and then I think like 75 for the second. But he ended up charging me 150 for both. And uh, that made all the water drain. And then uh, in the process of that, my furnace went out. But it was really, I think they call it the igniter switch. So basically it's what it The company that I use actually does that as well. But he told me, like, bro, you probably want to find somebody else to get this done because we'll probably charge you for it. To be honest, we'll probably charge you four or $500 to do it because, you know, all I got to do is charge what's on the books. But this isn't really a four or $500 thing. Like, you can get this done for, like, under 200 Very important, you guys. Detroit gets a lot of rain and it's not something that i knew it gets a ton of rain that's why they have a lot of good water up there and if you're getting a drain snaked which is a very common thing especially if you have tenants who are using non-flushable wipes <laughs> that they think are flushable you're going to get a lot of backups and so you got to be careful with these people who are going to try my contractor is the one who wipes. like you come on you didn't know my contractor flushed the wipes. Huh? that's what gave me that issue i'm like you didn't you don't know that to not flush wipes in the toilet. 
it's a very common thing out there. Right, so if you have tennis, I was like, am I in my lease? I'm writing, you cannot flush wipes down the toilet, firstly. And secondly, if you do, and we find that the reason why it was backed up was because of flushable wipes, you will be billed so for this transaction. We can have a few topics today, but I want you to touch on that a little bit because it's a misconception. So I think, like, it's popular culture to get into real estate and stocks and all that now, and a lot of people are paying attention to it. But, like, you know, growing up, like, you would think that people would be pro-assets, pro-generational wealth, pro-business. But when it comes to real estate, like, a lot of people, I wouldn't say they deter you, but that people don't really promote and encourage you to get into real estate and be a landlord, you know, because they're like, oh, you got to pay property taxes. You know, all the all the costs that you know that you're going to incur you know what I mean? People don't look at it like that. They just say it's going to cost this and cost that. And tenants don't stay. They don't pay. They leave at the drop of a hat. So, you know, all of these things that you can technically budget for. Like, so can you talk about certain things yeah. that are probably in your lease that other people may not, other landlords may not have in their lease? Because uh, some people like will allow the tenant to do any and everything in their property and they got to pay that cost. And that shouldn't really be the case. Like if you, put a hole in the wall day three of the lease and then you do something to damage the floors and then you do something, then I got to snake the drain. You know what I mean? Like you could have three or four uh, instances occur in a two week span and who was supposed to foot that bill? Not me. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, I think that if it's something that the tenant causes, the tenant is responsible for it. So if the tenant is punching walls, they're responsible for that. Um, you might not get to it until out or whatever that looks like. But like that's why these days I'm very big um, deposit to move in. So originally we were doing like first month's rent and the deposit would be like double the rent. So we would say like, all right, if it's $1,000 to move in, it's $1,000 for that rent and it's $1,000 for the deposit. Now I'm like, nah, we need to double that. Why? Because a lot of these tenants are leaving the properties in such poor shape that you have to do so much work to the property that you end up losing a lot of money. So, for example, a tenant moved out, floors crap, walls crap, um, pretty much those things. And somebody will quote you like $7,000 to fix those. They might quote you like $2,000 to paint, whatever else to replace the floors. And I think that's nonsense. That's why I came out there and I did it myself. But I think that you have to at least double that deposit. So that's one of the things that I want to do. Another thing that I do is like if it's a repair that's less than like 100, 200 bucks, they're responsible for it, depending on what it is. Something that's like a health or safety issue. One other thing that we wrote into the lease is they were responsible for lawn care and snow removal. Why? Because I'm not out there and I don't have time to do that. Granted, now that I have a better system for getting my lawns cut, I kind of, uh, I might take that on because you don't want your, you don't want... A lot of people, a lot of tenants don't like to mow lawns. They might need a lawnmower. So, like, I was in Atlanta, and you can tell what's a rental property by who takes care of their lawn and who doesn't take care of their lawn. Tenants, their lawn's all long. It just looks all crazy, and it looks all just not good for the community. And then the old people who actually own their home, they're cutting their lawn. So I have that in there mostly for the snow part because I wanted to pass the liability of the snow onto them. I didn't want to be responsible for snow. I wanted them to have that liability because, I mean, if you have snow, and they slip or they fall, then you can be in trouble for that. One of the things that I would say before we went on to the least thing, because I did have something valuable to say. 
I forgot what it was though. Dang. Those are some things that I, I, I include in there. But oh, this is what I was gonna say. Is I was talking to my uncle, and my uncle owned a rental property in College Park that was giving him headaches. He hated it. The tenants were terrible. It was in the terrible community. And it was in East Point, Atlanta. East Point is near um near the airport in Atlanta. And he was like, I sold it, I had to get rid of it. I was just tired of it. And he's like, man, but if I would have held on to it, we'd be sitting pretty right now because everything in Atlanta just shot to the moon. And so what I took from that conversation was having rental properties and managing tenants is not fun. It sucks. But you know what also sucks? Working a job. You know what also works? Commuting. You know what also sucks? Having to request time off from your boss. And so we got to learn how to do things that suck. And being a landlord sucks, but you got to do it. Why? Because the long-term benefits far outweigh the opposite. What's the opposite of being a landlord? Not being a landlord, not getting equity, not getting appreciation, not having something that you can um, leave to your kids. That's the opposite. So yeah, I don't like tenants and I don't like being a landlord, but I do like the fact that rents are continuing to appreciate or can continue to go up. So we used to rent properties for like six and seven hundred bucks. Now you can rent them for like a thousand and twelve hundred bucks, which is always the true value of these properties. And so you're constantly getting a pay raise by holding on to these properties. And so really, you just got to put your head in the sand. The people that get wealthy in this country do the dirty stuff. They do the dirty stuff. They open up businesses in places people don't want to open up businesses in. A lot of the reasons why a lot of immigrants own the businesses in black communities because they're willing to take that risk and put it there. A lot of us are too scared to open up a business in our own community. A lot of us are too scared. We're like, I'm not putting no business in the hood. Why? And then we wonder why they got all the business in the hood because they just, they just willing to do it. And so that's all I would say is I would say like, it's not fun. It's not something that you want to do, but it's necessary. Yeah. I, it's like give or take, like I'm passionate about real estate, but it's certain things that I don't look forward to doing, but you have to do. And even the things you enjoy doing, like it's not going to be just roses every day. That's the thing people think like, a relationship, you know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> and a relationship be or a marriage, you're not going to have the time Ain't of your life every single day of your life. Some people may argue that, but, you know, it's pros and cons, but it's like the overall situation, the overall experience, you know, is it favorable to you? Like, like you might enjoy rehabbing houses. Right. You might enjoy picking out materials, going to Home Depot, but that's probably like a new thing. You know, once you do it enough, you know, it can become a hassle, but, you might enjoy doing that. You might enjoy transforming these properties, but what you are not going to enjoy, or you might, is micromanaging adults. Like literally, like dealing with contractors is like babysitting. Like you got to be on your p's and q's because you can't really expect other really? people to uh, be on time and do what they said they're going to do if you don't. And it's like you literally, like I know a couple people on here, like my boy Chris and Israel, they know for sure, like. People and then everybody's busy. Everybody's buying off more than they can choose. So people are like rehabbing five, six houses, got rental properties, and everybody has a lot on their to do list. But you literally gotta like, it's like owning the daycare, really. <laughs> right. Um, I, I would say that. Uh, I would. I would say that you got to do the the unfun stuff. But I think that eventually what you want to do is you want to bring it all in-house. So you want to bring in a property manager in-house. You want to bring in a project manager in-house. So with my flip, I have somebody who shows up 
and he makes sure that things are going in line. I can't do it anymore, but I don't want to just like hire it out to another company. I want to start building these roles inside of the company. What's going on, Chris? Is start building these roles inside of the company. So for example, it's like, you don't want to delegate your property management out because if you delegate the property management out, what's going to happen is you're going to bring somebody in who's not vested in your property. They don't care if the tenants love it. They don't care if the tenants stay, they leave, they kick walls in the door. They don't care because they get paid either way. But you got to bring in somebody who's on your side. And so ultimately, you might have to self-manage for a while. And then what you're going to do is you're going to build your own management team in-house. The same thing with your, pro with your project management when you're doing your flips. But it's all necessary. It's not fun, but it's necessary. And so there's things that we have to get used to as a culture that are going to build wealth, allowed us to leave things to our heirs, create income for our heirs, that um, we have to do that. One of the things I was also going to say is, um, is stop looking for cash flow from these rental properties. Because when you become so in love with the cash flow, you can start fighting your tenants oh, for your speak properties. Don't just say nothing like that. You got to expand on that, my brother. This is something that I, I experienced. I experienced a situation where a lot of tenants, what they'll do is they'll put in maintenance requests at the end of the month, right when like the rents do. And you can kind of get frustrated and you can kind of take that out on them because like they're essentially constraining your cash flow. And a lot of times these tenants, like they're like, I don't want you making no money off of me. And so they'll figure out ways to kind of try to make money, take money out of your pocket. And so what I'm finding is like, as you're bringing in cash flow from your properties or revenue from your properties, set that aside, don't touch it, leave it there to improve your properties. So not only are you doing maintenance that's requested, you're also doing preventative maintenance. Not only are you doing maintenance that's requested, you're also adding value, you might be adding another roof, might be painting the exterior, you might be upgrading things inside of the house in terms of electrical or HVAC. Like, I think those things are important because you're going to get your money. You're going to get your money. You're going to get your money on the back end. You're going to ultimately get your money as the property increases in value, especially if you're reinvesting your, your rent. But when you're, when you're fighting your tenant for the profit off of that cash flow, it's just going to lead to frustration. And so I don't, I don't really think that that's the way to go about it these days. Um, I mean, it's just, it can be frustrating, man. Have you, have you experienced anything like that? Or what's your take on that? Yeah, the tenants kind of had a power right now. I haven't experienced that, but uh, it's bound to come. I think that's probably inevitable. <clears throat> the more the more units you get. Where are the, where are the deals at in Detroit? Uh, They're everywhere. You want me to name the neighborhoods that are attractive, or no? Okay. I mean, we've we've done that before. Where deals? They everywhere, but they're not everywhere. So lately, what I've noticed, what I've been telling my partner is that like now, the a lot of the people that I contacted a year or two ago, like now, are listing their homes with a realtor, like so. So the houses that weren't valuable a couple of years ago because of the area, like you said, the true value, right? Because, you know, what's on paper and what's on Zillow isn't always the actual true value of the property. But a lot of those houses were the value wasn't where it needed to be or the condition was just so, so messed up that uh, because of the value that they knew nobody would buy. A lot of those, a lot of those shells, let's just put it like that. A lot of those shells people are trying to sell now. 
So, you know, people are trying to sell the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they're trying to sell more of the bad and ugly now. And, uh, people are trying to sell land bank yeah. conditioned homes that they privately own, but they're trying to sell them for twenty, thirty thousand, and it's like, uh, I can give you five. And uh, it's a lot of houses with foundation issues I've been coming across lately. How do you tell that something uh, a foundation issue? Uh, well, my process when I go to a house, we always uh, inspect the exterior first. So <clears throat> you look at the. Uh, You go and look at the foundation of the house from the outside. You will look to see if there's any holes in the ground near the near the brick or the siding. Uh, you can look through the back and see if, if the house has shifted. Those are a few things from the outside. From the inside, when you walk in, you can look at the floor, see if the floors are sloped, see if the uh, door frames are sloped. Uh, you will go in the basement and look at the walls. Are the walls bowing out? You know, is the wall is the wall even throughout, or does it look like it's about to collapse? Those are the main things. So looking at looking at the base of the house, looking at the basement wall, floors and the door frames. That makes sense. That makes sense. And foundation issues are important and it's not very to expensive to repair. And so that can kind of uh, make a diff a deep. Yeah, not too many people that do them. I know one guy who does them, and that's all he really does now. He used to do like full rehab. He actually did the open. And now all he does is foundation issues. Now, now all he does is foundation work. That's he does some good stuff. Ears. Like what I've seen him do, he'll go out there. He'll take the big. That's music to my ears when I ask somebody, "What do you do?" Yeah. And they say, "We only do roofs or you. we only do plumbing." Like, as most of these cats, they don't. We do everything. <laughs> Which means they don't do nothing. That means they just hire it all out. Somebody tells you they do everything, does nothing. Know why you don't want somebody who does nothing is you're going to be waiting. You're going to be waiting for a long time because they're going to be waiting for their person to come available. And then also, they're going to tax you because they got to make some money off of it and they got to pay the work. Bring somebody that's partially qualified. Somebody that's going to do an A. A to A plus job. I don't want a C plus job, you know. And right. I mean, you're charging, and I notice immediately you'll set to remedy it, or it looks good. And then I notice a lingering issue two months down the line when I put the property on the market and it's being inspected. And uh, like I know one guy, and he, I think he has a very good judge of character. Uh, he. He used the guy to rehab the house. They did everything right other than uh, addressing some of the foundation issues. And then uh, they had some plumbing issues. And then when the inspector was in the house and he turned the water on, the pipe started <laughs> started to leak. <coughs> and that happened during the inspection. So it's like the home the home buyer, the potential home buyer saw that. So, you know, that's an awkward feeling. So now you got to make them feel comfortable to know them that you um, actually remedy that issue before they buy the property. Yes, very important. When you get people who do C-plus work and charge A-plus prices, you're probably going to get somebody who's not going to come back and remedy and fix it anytime soon. So you're going to spot issues, and then they're going to want to charge you to fix the stuff that they didn't even do right. 
folks will charge you to fix the things that they did not do correctly on the price that you paid them. At least they'll try. So be leery of that. If you have a contract for somebody to do X and they do half of X, don't let them then charge you to complete X. Not going to make it seem like it's easy, but, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and the advice that I can give y'all is uh, use your common sense and uh, what's the word? A lot of the, a lot of the things you do to judge somebody, pay attention to the red flags. Basically, like people when we date, we pay attention to all these red flags, or we, are. but uh, just the way they talk. One red flag is bad huh. Wi-Fi. What'd you say? I said one red flag is bad Wi-Fi because you're. <laughs> oh man don't do me like that but uh i had one guy i was about to buy that uh that deal that i was trying to buy in east english village last year um that one had a foundation issue but it wasn't really severe so i had a few people looking at it and then that that's the thing so this real estate stuff can be tricky you learn through trial and error you talking to multiple people you know, there's facts and then there's opinions. And it's like everybody uh, has a different opinion sometimes. Like what's considered a lot of work to one person could be or just normal to the next person. Like uh, that's about this house yeah. uh, in 4235 because it needed like 40, you know, Like that's not too bad. It was no foundation issues at all. It needed for rehab, but it was, it was a solid deal. And, uh, the one in East England foundation issues. It's not like the wall was like three different spots. It looked manageable. You know, I just wanted to get a second and third opinion on that. And I wanted to, you know, get an actual quote on what that would cost before going to the closing table. I wasn't able to do that fast enough. So I just backed out of the deal, but, you know, some people see foundation and they just run from. I had a guy, so then I tried to wholesale it to a guy or whatever, and uh, he was telling me it can be done for six to ten thousand. So that wasn't that bad, but it was it was just one of those situations where we got like a short time frame, and uh, I just wasn't able to move fast enough, so I had to let it go. Mm. Yeah, moving fast is ghetto. Especially when you're moving around multiple thousands of dollars. A lot of people try to go into a deal. And it's like, bruh, you know how hard I work to make this money? I'm not going just rush and just throw so, that So I had, I had. Don't let these folks rush you into a contract. I had two deals like that in one week. I had two deals like that in one huh? week. And uh, I had a different approach on, on each. So that one, uh, what was it? They wanted to close. I think they wanted to close in a week. So I went under contract thinking that by day three, I could convince them to wait <laughs> an additional two weeks. For like five days straight, trying to convince them to to uh, extend it to a third week. Another week, which would be two weeks total. But uh, because of that foundation, 
or whatever and then getting a few people out for quotes you know it just wasn't really like it wasn't gonna make sense and i wasn't gonna force myself into the deal and they were too so that's why sometimes you kind of want to pick the uh title uh we're using their title company and they're like we're closing tomorrow and i'm like how are we closing tomorrow when i haven't even got closing docs like i haven't even reviewed a hud like how are we how are we literally supposed to close tomorrow when y'all haven't sent me the closing docs so you can't let for you can't let people try to force you into close and they haven't done what they were supposed to do so the closing docs i'm pretty sure a lot of people know but that's they also refer to that as the hud statement or the settlement statement the closing is considered the so prior to you buying the property you need to bring the closing so you'll see all the fees that the title company charges if you're using a lender you'll know exactly what that lender is charging you know if you have to bring a down payment or if you're paying cash all of that will be in the hud statement and uh you'll know how much you need to bring to closing and then you'll have a bunch of documents you got to sign and then uh so they got a seller statement and a buyer statement the seller signs the seller statement the buyer signs the buyer statement uh you may, the seller may be using a realtor, you may be using a realtor, you may be using a wholesaler. So all of those involved parties should be on the HUD statement. And uh, you got to sign docs and you can close remotely if you're out of state. And a lot of title companies are closing remotely or virtually since because COVID is a factor or you can sign in person. And uh, one thing that's not really talked about that much, <clears throat> which, but it is, is one document that should be in the closing docs is the uh, property transfer affidavit. So basically when you buy the property, yes, that's the, that's the yes. big deal. So most people don't talk about that, but that's kind of a big deal. So the property transfer affidavit is the form it is submitted to the county so that the county is aware that you are the new owner of this property, right? So not only do you get the deed, but you also want to mm -hmm. file this so that then the county will be aware so that you will go on the tax records because basically one uh, Wayne County charges if you don't do it within a certain amount of days they start charging like $20 or $10 a day or something like that so that can add up and then basically you know you want to be you want the mail to come to you so like I sold my uh, neighbors to family uh, about three years ago and they were scared like the guy isn't paying the property taxes and they keep sending letters to me like does, does he own the property didn't we sell it to him and i'm like yes you've you sold it to him but uh he never submitted the property transfer affidavit so basically you know you get a deed with the property if you buy it free and clear but um you need to get a property transfer affidavit and file that with the county immediately so that they don't start taxing you by the day just for not submitting that information so that's basically an incentive for you to help the county get in line with doing their paperwork because, you know, local local state governments and all of them, they're usually pretty behind them. But, uh, oh, back to the houses. Indeed, man. I had a deal. They, they closed a week, and that didn't really work. So I backed out, and then I had a second deal. He was on the same thing, but he wanted to do two weeks and like weeks so we didn't even go under contract because i was like this just i was just in a similar situation a few days ago 
and it didn't work in my favor. I didn't lose any money or anything, but, you know, it wasn't really like the ideal situation. So I'm like, on in this situation, if we can't negotiate better terms in the, in the beginning, then we just won't go under contract, and we didn't. So people people be trying to rush people be trying to rush everybody to close. So Indeed, and then man. three weeks or a month go by anyway, and they go by anyway, and it's like you could have just waited. Romeo, respectful. We got Wi-Fi situated because I can't hear what you're saying. It's breaking up every other word. Are you on the Wi-Fi right now? <laughs> Man, we're going to wrap up this first, third, whatever number episode of the Detroit Real Estate Podcast. I only had an hour to go live. I got another call at six. Gonna be talking to the Monopoly Bros about blowing up their brand. And if you guys want to blow up your brand, you want to take advantage of the business accelerator program that I have. The link in my bio is the top link. Also, check out the options course. Check out the options book. We're blowing up. People are still making money in options. If you ain't make, making money in options, it's because you ain't dedicated. And you ain't practicing. So dedicate yourself and practice and treat it like a job. You got to treat it like a job if you want to make some dough. I would let Romeo have some last words, but he just keeps spiraling out of control with this Wi-Fi thing, man. Next time we got to work on. You can't go live on data. If you go live on data, yeah, I got, it's gonna jack up. I got the Wi-Fi working. But I do think this was a valuable information. You guys, make sure you follow, follow Romeo at Humble Young. Um, well, don't be treating me like Showtime at the Apollo, man. I only have an hour allotted, and I kind of wanted to relax before I have. You treating me like Showtime at the Apollo? Nah, it was a good conversation. We'll have to we'll have to jump back on. Yeah, we can do that. Maybe. We'll have to jump back on next next uh, tomorrow. Catch us every Wednesday at 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. We want to keep bringing you guys the Detroit Real Estate value and help educate you guys on real estate investing in general because it doesn't just apply to Detroit. It, it, it applies across the country. My name is Charles